Bart, I've asked you not to whistle that annoying tune. up everybody and welcome once again to simpsons is greater than a simpsons podcast where we take a look at the cultural impact we take a look at how great the show is we take a look at everything that has to do with the simpsons everything as always i'm your host warren better known to some of you as bart of darkness you might have seen my Simpsons collection on Instagram and Twitter. Be honest, it's great, isn't it? Go ahead and say it's great if you want to. But if you haven't, no big deal. Just go to at Bart of Darkness on either of those things and check it out. Now today for episode 21, I have my friend Marshall Julius. If you don't know Marshall, he's an author, a longtime collector, and just a really cool guy. He's very funny on the internet. So kick back, prop your feet up, or if you're driving to work, keep your eyes on the road, and enjoy the episode. Let's go. <laughs> well, and also, I started losing my hair in my 20s, so it didn't, you know, I just... Oh, me too. I'm, I'm right there with you. So it doesn't make me look any... I mean, we, we could be long-lost relatives, Marshall. I mean, really. Damn right. <laughs> well, it's like my kids. I, You know, at the moment, I'm sort of just at the beginning of trying to grow a, a lockdown beard, you know, just for the hell of it. It's like my wife, she's had nothing to look at but my stupid face for the last <laughs> year. So I was like, I've done as much as I can to change out. I've become grotesquely overweight, but now I need to do something else. I need to, I'm growing a beard. Yeah. I, I, I followed Homer more closely than I, I care to admit, really. <laughs> yeah, I, I relate to that very very heavily as a you know homer just evolving into the- i love that i love that yeah well so i could always relate to homer from you know i was what um like 20 when the show started properly and um i was closer in age to bart than homer and now i'm probably closer in age to grandpa <laughs> hey how old is homer like 38 yeah 38 I believe they changed it to 38. They said 36 for a long time, but I'm pretty sure now it's confirmed 38. Um, so, yeah. So I used to be um, 10 years older than Bart, and now I'm 13 years older than Homer. Well, they It's insane that the show's lasted this long. Hey, I mean, no one. No one knew, you know. No one knew it would still be here. I, I didn't think that the same show I was watching when I was five, six years old um, would still be putting out new episodes every week. Um, here, you know, when I'm 34, so uh, no one could have predicted that. I don't think anyone would have had any reason to think that. I mean, I I think every, I'm sure when they hit 20, they were like, wow, this is crazy. We've got to be wrapping it up soon. (laughs) Mm, mm. I I just always expected it to stop. Now I feel like it's never going to stop. I have my feelings on that. I really, really, really hope that that's not true, but I do feel like it mm. might be true. I really hope that Disney is smart enough to not just think they can turn it into Mickey Mouse. I really, really don't want that. Um, but who knows? And I'm sure that they're hoping that we'll catch up with Futurama technology and then Yardley and, and Dan and everything. They can just be heads in jars doing it for all eternity. That That's really my thing with it, you know, is that I... <sighs> I'm sure they could find people that are truly great, but I just believe that the Simpsons is those people. 
And I don't mm. think that it can be anyone else. I'm not going to listen, or I don't think I'm going to. I, I don't want to listen to anyone else do Marge's voice. I don't want to listen to anyone no. else be Lisa. I don't want to listen to anyone else be Homer. You know, I just, I'm not yeah. on board for that. No, I know. And even though th- there are probably people that, that could do an approximation, it, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be the same. No. And uh, in the same way that they retired Lionel Hutz and, uh, you know, and the like, I think that, uh, I think that that would be right. Me too. But you see, if, if it's uh, such an enormous cash cow and it's making so much money, um, then that will be a, a decision for a lot of people to make, won't it? Yeah. Well, luckily, you, luckily they got some time left, you know, hopefully. Um, so do. Oh, yeah. Let's not kill them off just yet. <laughs> so are we, are we doing this show now? Yeah, Is man. This the show? I just sort of let it roll in and, uh, you know, I, I, I'll cut whatever we don't want to keep at the top and I'll just let it roll in. So. No, that's good. I haven't checked my body for lamb chops or things stuck in my beard or anything yet. So it's like uh, closer to Homer, like I say, than I, I usually admit. But, uh. <laughs> well, Marshall, I, I want to say thanks a lot for coming on the podcast. It's it's going to be awesome to pick your brain. Um, and, and the reason, the main reason that I wanted to have you on is you wrote an awesome book called Vintage Geek. Uh, which Thank has you. a chapter on the Simpsons and it's, you know, it's really great. But before we actually start with the questions, I want to read a quote uh, from the introduction to that book, which I really, really loved. And you said, I quote, as a collector, film critic, and for want of a better title, a professional appreciator, my mission in life is to both celebrate and maintain the memory of everything I can't think about without getting a lump in my throat, which is a lot. My nostalgia knows no bounds and my enthusiasm has no breaks. I, I have to say, Marshall, that I love that quote because I relate to it in such a real way. I, I, I'm not able to let go of things that I love. Mm. I, I am very forgiving of things that I love and I just want to enjoy them forever. So can you expand on that in real time? What you, what, what you were thinking when you wrote that? I suppose... I'm not a super deep or especially philosophical person, but uh, I do. I, I have I have a lot of uh, deep feeling and enthusiasm for the things that I love. I'm just very. I'm all about the love, really. Um, that said, I you know as a film critic, I, I do enjoy um, you know digging into something I don't like. I can have a lot of fun with that. I mean, film reviews. Um, Although I'd rather sit through good films, I'd rather write about bad films because that's just <laughs> much more fun um, to write and uh, more fun to read. It's like a uh, vengeance. But, uh, but you know, for the most part, um, I'm kind of... There is so much in my life that has meant so much to me um, for a variety of reasons. Um that I just I just feel like it's all so important. I my brother got me this autograph of Elliot Gould once, and it said, and Elliot Gould wrote, Marshall, don't take any of this seriously. And that was the best advice that I never took because I take <laughs> it all so much to heart and it, it's all so sort of significant and important. If somebody says they don't like something, or you know, you have to sort of Try not to take it personally, but it's difficult, you know. It, it, it you kind of take some sort of ownership, especially as a collector. You you own all this stuff, right. and um, in a way, I think a lot of collectors that they want stuff because it helps them feel closer to the show. Like they have some sort of ownership. Like it's like it's 
it's not like oh look at me i've got so much simpson stuff it's more like it's for you you do it for yourself you know um so i think it's all about uh celebrating the things that uh that i love and and i'm obsessed by that have shaped my kind of personality that have been the things that are in common i have in common with my friends the things that formed my friendships i mean uh when the Simpsons started, so like 89, I was 20 years old. My friend Sal um, lived nearby uh, in his parents' house at the time, and they had a satellite dish, and he was the only one of our friendship circle that had uh, a satellite dish. So he was the first person to get the Simpsons. And I'd heard, uh, you know, I'd seen some of the shorts. I think that they were showing them at the cinema, um, some of the uh, the original from the Tracy Ullman show. They were turning up as shorts um, before movies oh, wow. and something, kind of familiarizing people with them. The first episode I ever saw was I went traveling um, when I was like uh, 18, uh, 19. I kind of traveled around the world. It just felt like uh, I needed to expand my horizons a bit, have something other than film and TV to talk about. I was in Singapore and I saw the second half of the telltale head. Great one. And, um, and it was like, I was just instantly transfixed because the, the animation, although it seems perhaps crude compared to today's, but compared to the original, uh, like animated shorts on the Tracy Armour show, it was quite a leap ahead. Yeah. Amazing comparatively. And so it was like, I suddenly took it seriously and found it hilariously funny at the same time when I came home from my travels and Sal was the only person who had it. Um, you know, we used to go around every Sunday night me and my cousin, uh, Ronald, uh, you know, we would all convene at Sal's house to watch The Simpsons. And uh, we'd have, uh, gosh, VHS tapes, still using VHS tapes. <laughs> and uh, I would actually record them on long play so I could get eight hours of episodes on yes. a four-hour tape. And I would go every week, I would record it. And to the point when I could have like eight hours of The Simpsons, like the first few seasons, and uh, then I've, I would have uh, parties and stuff. And uh, in one room, I always had a Simpsons room. I would always have a TV on with the Simpsons playing just like constantly. So it'd be like the chill room. Wow. So, <laughs> basically, you know, when I say parties, um, you know, big sort of drunken events. Oh. I mean, they, they weren't like, it wasn't like... Um, animal house with lots of sex going on it was basically a lot of drinking and people watching the simpsons you know it was a very different kind of uh a very different kind of well maybe there were people having sex but certainly, certainly <laughs> who can say you know <laughs> I, I wouldn't i don't want to speak for everybody else and that came to my parties i found them quite sexless affairs myself but uh i i just uh it, it just it, you know there was a time when it was like uh, me and my friends uh, 50% of what we said to each other were Simpsons quotes, you know, right. try not to exaggerate too much, but really we were quite relentless. And if people weren't, if, you know, if there were people with us who weren't into the Simpsons, then we, we were really insufferable because pretty much, every, you know, everything was a quote and it was do this and do that and, and, and donuts for my life and don't have a cow. And, you know, and obviously much more uh, sophisticated uses of, of, of the dialogue. Um, and uh, I, so there was this time when in 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 uh, in Hampstead, uh, North London, uh, near where I was living uh, at the time, um, Dan Castellaneta came to do a signing at an art gallery. Wow! 
and um and we all went down there on mass and we had a ton of stuff to sign it, it was it was the sort of thing where you didn't necessarily have to buy something in order to get it signed right um so they were pretty they were really way too relaxed um so we went there and it was the early days of simpsons and so it was it was sort of a, there was a, a craze building up around it but it wasn't like the juggernaut it is today oh yeah um and uh we drove him mad we drove him mad. <laughs> we made him do Simpsons quotes. It was like we treated him like a performing monkey. I felt so bad <laughs> that we were just so obnoxious. But in fan, as fans, but we were just like, oh, please say this, please say that. And he did it all with such good, he was so good natured about it. But probably after that, we probably screwed it for anyone else because after us he probably thought fuck that you know i'm not gonna do this anymore put so many rules in place as a result of you guys <laughs> yeah basically we basically ruined it for everybody um but it was it, it, simpsons just seemed to um dominate our our lives it was very it was very key uh, to things in in our uh, early 20s definitely wow. and you know you can't when it, it was like it's like a first love or you know you just never forget it and, and you know you have ups and downs with it but it's like it's just it's just uh incredibly special it's like if if, if star wars is is the love of my life then uh then the simpsons is my tv mistress basically it's like <laughs> and i'm you know i'm i'm like a mormon i i'm not going to choose between them i'm not going to do a sophie it's like no nazis you can't have either of them i'm just <laughs> taking them both home and don't fight me basically yeah, well the, the simpsons you know and i love hearing that because i i you know like with the quote itself i relate to it so much because it's one of those things that I feel like if you were present in that time, obviously, no matter where you lived in the world, there was some connection to it that was unlike anything. Like I vividly remember the first time that it really registered with me. Now, obviously, I don't remember exactly what season or exactly whatever, but I remember just being like, wow, mm. the way this show looks, the way these jokes are being told, even if I was too young to get them. Mm. Something about the way it came out of the television just slapped me across the face. Just, I knew that I had to watch it forever, mm. you know? Interesting that you actually really never lived in a world without The Simpsons. Right. You know, for us, it would be like, hey, there's a show on TV. And it's sort of like The Flintstones, only it's really funny and it's and it's totally of now. And, and it's like it, it makes fun of movies and shows that we love. It's full of Twilight Zone references. That, and, you know, we loved Halloween and it had all the Halloween specials. It's like especially living in England where, actually, you know, the, especially at the time sort of early, you know, without the Internet and stuff, um, we were a little bit starved of um, I was okay. I always loved American culture. In my first book about action movies, I was accused by some critics of putting in too many soft-boiled Americanisms. It's like, <laughs> because that's that's sort of my language. I I would, I you know, I like uh, chat shows and sitcoms and um, adventure shows. And I was always much more into American TV uh, than, you know, anything else. And, wow. uh, and, and I felt like uh, when The Simpsons came on and it was just so obsessed with pop culture, it's like it completely mirrored my obsession with pop culture and it was funny about it and so it was like it, it, you know it was it was intrinsically funny it was incredibly nerdy 
it was really fun to look at. I love the characters. Um, right. I love that they would bring people on just for a few lines that you became so familiar with this enormous cast of characters that so, they just ship someone in for like one joke. And, <laughs> and it was a, you know, it was a good one. It's funny too, to think about because I, you know, just hearing how you paint the show, it's really well said is that, the Simpsons almost seems too good to be true when you really think about the time that it came out and what it was up against. Like it really does seem like it was almost too good. Like, and it, I don't think most things that are good now or that became good after the Simpsons began, whatever, you know, I say this all the time on the podcast, but I don't think any of those things would have come to be at least in the way that they did without the Simpsons. It just really does seem like it's like this thing that it's bigger than itself. It, it almost had to happen. We wouldn't have so much. Uh, When you think about that, it was on Fox as well. And Fox was just, just, um, just sucked. Fox just (laughs) sucked so bad. I mean, their shows were terrible. I remember when they started, it was all, and now we're going to do sitcom versions of all these movies. Uh, The twist is they're going to be rubbish. (laughs) It was like, well, they really, you know, Fox just threw one stinky turkey after another. And then The Simpsons comes along and it's like, wow, this is like, this is really a gold bar among the turds and it's like there's no wonder that they have kept it going through thick or thin obviously they've had some success other successes since then but i i think that uh i think that uh, the simpsons was the the thing that saved the whole network that gave yeah. them an identity that uh that they would just there would be no there would be no Fox without them. So actually maybe Simpsons have got a lot to explain. <laughs> yeah. Maybe, maybe, maybe we could change that one little detail, but yeah, there'd be no Fox news if it wasn't for the Simpsons. If, if, if only that could just go away. But you know, the, the thing that I, I like about that too is it, it, and this is another thing that I often bring up or that gets brought up to me when having these conversations is it was just a perfect mixture of things. Like it's the mm. fact that even the merchandising was like, you know, comparable only to maybe Star Wars or mm. something like that. Like it just, it came out swinging so hard and was on everything and was provocative and was just something that kids wanted. I mean, you had these shirts with Bart saying really cool things, you know, holding a skateboard. Like, you know, I didn't have a chance. Like the moment I saw that I had to have it, you know? So I, I think it's interesting when you look at what the show was doing, but you also look at just what was being marketed was perfect. The ads in TV Guide, the ads in the newspaper, these things were very catching to the eye. And it just all happened in the right way. It's kind of insane to think about. Oh, ab- absolutely. Absolutely. But it's funny that for you and your age, um, you would definitely have been um, more of a Bart fan growing up. For sure. But for me and my friends, it was all about Homer. I loved all the characters, but Homer was our god, you know? <laughs> It was, there's something about Homer that I've always liked relatable heroes, okay? And and anybody can be Homer. And, you know, I, I and, and in many ways, um, I'm a bald, fat idiot. And, you know, <laughs> and, and it's like, you know, I've... I, I, I followed, I've, I followed the Simpsons path. What, what can I say? It's just uh, <laughs> like... Um, 
Doug McClaw, you know, the actor Doug McClaw, you know, yeah. he was a huge alcoholic in his later years and um, sort of upon a few pounds after his success in Westerns and things on TV in the 50s and 60s. He came to England and he made all these terrible robbery monster movies. Uh, and he was sort of, um, he was not particularly good looking. He was sort of, you know, it just looked like an old builder or, or bin man or something, you know, <laughs> not that there's anything wrong with those professions, but right, right, you know, right. when you look at like TV action stars of today, they all look like kind of like uh, well, teenage Adonises, I suppose. But, you know, he was a middle-aged, he was a middle-aged guy who was really puffy and, you know, he just, he just looked like he'd gotten up, smoked like a pack of cigarettes. <laughs> Maybe he found a warm beer sticking out of the sofa that he finished. And then he kind of stumbled onto the set and then, you know, um, there's a guy, you know, hi, I'm Doug, I'll be your monster today. And he puts on a rubbery hat. And then, you know, Doug McClaw would spend a few hours by punching it. And, and and then, you know, they would crank out another movie at the Earth's core or Warlords of Atlantis was my favourite. And they were fabulously rubbish, thrillingly entertaining. And although, you know, because uh, you, you couldn't have a Ray Harryhausen film every week in childhood, you know, you're talking those things were years apart, but it was a lot easier to make a Doug McClure film. And, uh, you know, when I was small, um, I, 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 I love that he was, I mean, I, I didn't like uh, intellectualize it then. I didn't think, oh, look, he's, he's, he's so relatable because he's just an old, ugly man, <laughs> <finding> <laughs> monster movies, but. The thing is that when The Simpsons came along, I had the same connection. I had the same feeling for Homer. I thought, you know, here is a guy who he's just, he's not, he's not this great Superman. He has these fantastic adventures. Um, but uh, he's, he's just, he's more relatable than I, I care to admit, really. And has always been, you know, especially, especially the older we get. Well, you know, that's another thing is I think it's interesting to think about how, the Simpsons is an example of a show that the older you get, the more you relate to different characters in the show. And this is another point yeah. I make a lot, but as an adult, my favorite character is Lisa. Well, she actually has been for some time, but mm. when I was a kid, it was Bart all the way. Um, but I find myself, you know, in my thirties being like, you know, I think Marge and Lisa are the people I'm the most interested in beyond the jokes. And I think that that is funny to realize that a show can really give you the full deck of cards. Like you can, watch all these episodes a million times and think they're very funny, but you can see them through a different lens at different stages in your life. It really does take you to a different place, you know? Definitely. Definitely. And um, yeah, I mean, d definitely Lisa grew and grew uh, and grew on me and uh, was not the most like obviously comedic character at first, often seemed to be in it to be kind of more of an irritant to some of the other characters, <laughs> But that uh, she's kind of she's kind of really uh, developed, and I kind of admire um, you know what Yardley's done with it, and and what the writers have done, and how she's kind of um, grown. And yeah, I mean, I think that they're all great. You know, I, I really love all the characters. I've got plenty of time for all of them. Um, Often my favorite episodes, um, no disrespect to the main cast though, um, because actually they they play most of the supporting cast as well. <laughs> I like crusty episodes or, um, you know, I, I, I love, there's so many great supporting characters. Um, and it was always a thrill when they could have like a, a crusty special or a Lionel Hutz um, heavy episode or, you know, um, 
even the kind of one and done, well, actually not because pretty much everyone has come back over the years, but, you know, for a long time, the episode with Danny DeVito um, yeah. as as Homer's brother, uh, that was uh, when, when he builds the Homer. I mean, that was one of my all-time favorite episodes. And that's, you know, whatever Homer wants, Homer gets. And I thought if I ever designed a car, I think I would design something that, hellaciously terrible because it's got all the, it's got all the space stuff it's just you know it's all just stuff together it's it's so bad and I, it's funny when i interviewed wes archer i actually didn't know this but he told me that the drawing of the homer like the the true like what it became was something matt did he was like here do something like this and the animators thought it was so funny and that's just sort of what the car became mm. so i think that that's really great um I, you know i do i do want to shift the focus back to your book just a little bit we really by all means vintage geek buy it on amazon buy it once buy it twice yeah buy it for a friend um you know anyone that's not really familiar with the book and i hope that a lot of people listening are already buying it as as they listen uh you know sort of explain it to the listeners give them a bit of a rundown if you, if you can well um you know besides the simpsons and star wars um I have so many different loves and obsessions and um you know prior to the internet there was a particular cachet for among nerds for knowing stuff you know so um I always had tons of reference books I always wanted to read the making ofs of everything I was always you know fascinated to get whatever um tidbits I could about the, um you know behind the scenes stuff and you know in the 80s it wasn't so easily forthcoming there weren't special feature DVDs and um and it just it, it, this information was a little harder one so um to uh, to become a kind of repository of, of that knowledge and it wasn't just you know me my cousin Ronald we were all sort of nerds with heads full of this information so <laughs> full of this information that i didn't have room to learn anything practical like how to make a how to have a successful career or you know how, <laughs> how, how to make money or how to be a responsible parent is about i i could tell you anything about the making of the um roger moore Sean Connery bond films and, and i think that there's there's value in that you know some of my there friends might, might disagree but uh <laughs> but so i had all this I had all this information floating about in my head. I always have done. And it's like, um, I feel that it's all going to start slipping away soon. I'm, you know, I'm definitely going to lose my mind at some point. And, <laughs> and although there was a lot of research required um, to fill in any blanks, um, I really always wanted to write a, a, a book of trivia. Uh, although I don't really like the word trivia because it's actually much more important to me than the word trivia suggests. But, you know, right. for the sake of it being clear what I'm talking about. Um, so I, I once tried a quiz book years ago, and uh, I, you know, I wrote this book about action movies in the 90s, and then I, I once tried a quiz book, and everyone's like, uh, oh, well, you know, print is dying, Marshall. It's, you know, you should do some sort of computer program, or and it just, it was all so horrible, just the idea. I wanted to, I wanted to do a book. I wanted to do a quiz book. And I wanted to make it easy. I wanted to make it bastard hard. You know, I wanted to make it challenging. <laughs> Not like, you know, so many quiz books are just so pathetic. They're just oh. like, well, anybody could answer. It's like, there's no, there's no test. There's no challenge. It's no fun. If you, if you answer easy questions, then what? You're just, you're not going to feel like you've achieved anything. You really know anything. It's, uh, it's like answering one of those quizzes where they just want you to enter. You know, they don't <laughs> care, you know. So anyway, it took years for me to, um, 
eventually find a publisher foolhardy enough to to go along with me on on this journey and and um so i picked 20 subjects um 20 uh all prior to the 21st century so the simpsons is probably the most modern thing in it and i only mm. do like the first like 10 years because um 2000 was pretty much the cutoff point Right. So I start in like the 1930s. I've got a chapter of questions about uh, the Universal Monsters. So that goes from like the 30s to the mid 50s, sort of um, from like Dracula to um, Creature from the Black Lagoon. And uh, I've got chapters on 1950s science fiction because, oh gosh, I love Forbidden Planet. Forbidden Planet is the life. Um, and I got a chapter on um, Ray Harryhausen creature features because um, another great obsession of mine, um, Ray Harryhausen, love him, really. <laughs> uh, I interviewed him twice. I interviewed him when I was 19 years old and because uh, he lived in England and it was just the most thrilling experience wow. of my life. Um, and still, I, I remember it all so in, incredibly fondly, and I'm po constantly posting about uh, Ray Harryhausen. So um, <laughs> what else? Uh, Star Trek, but only the 60s show. Um, Doctor Who, but only the Tom Baker era. Mm. Um, I also do chapters on uh, Marvel Silver Age, because I really admire Stanley. I know a lot of people say that he took a lot of credit and blah, 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 but he did more than help co-create all those characters and all those comic books. He also created, he created Marvel. You know, he made right. Marvel into the world and the culture that we understand today. He was also had a, a tremendous uh, relationship with the fans and um oh absolutely i totally agree i, I you know I, I think the way that he opened up the world of fandom and created that conversation between the fans and, and, and the creatives with 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 the bullpen and, and the mary marvel marching society i think you know that was all stan and so i think a lot of people sometimes focus on the on on the negative and they think that you know kirby didn't necessarily get his due all the time um i think that um you know maybe you know i'm not i'm not disputing that but i'm saying that there's so much more to stan's uh, story and his contribution than just the books themselves right and and he you know i gotta say i, I live in jacksonville florida and uh there's a movie theater very close to my house it's a fantastic theater called sunray cinema a little shout out to them and when stan was still with us they actually had stan to do like a sort of a little uh something to play before the movies telling people like, Hey, keep your feet off the tables. And oh, yeah. I really, I really just thought it was so fantastic and they still use it. It's, it's really wonderfully done. And uh, so every time I see that, it just brings a smile to my face. So I, I, oh, I would love to see that. I got to interview him once and he was just incredibly charming and patient and uh, signed uh, more stuff than I should have ever put in front of him and answered <laughs> lots of ridiculous questions. And he was just like the man and I, I absolutely adored him. So all of those things and a lot more um, are, are all um, in the book. I got, I got chapters on 80s, 1980s action films, and I've got lots of horror stuff in there. I've got chapters on um, the uh, George Romero original Dead trilogy, because although he made more after Day of the Dead, for, you know, I think for most kind of hardcore, you know, kind of zombie fans, it's Night of the Living Dead, Day of the Dead. Um, Dawn of the Dead, Day of the Dead. So I've got a chapter on that. I've got a chapter on um, on uh, uh, John Carpenter's Apocalypse Trilogy, which is uh, In the Mouth of Madness, the, um, Prince of Darkness and The Thing, 
which are, um, you know, all movies with, you know, great, the world is screwed endings. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and so, um, all those things that I'm tremendously passionate about and had all this information in my head. Although once I started doing research for it, often out of books that I had collected over the years, information that's not necessarily online. Also, um, I've interviewed a lot of my heroes over the years, and so I actually used a lot of information that I got directly from them. Mm. Um, that I, I managed to just pour it all into these books. And, you know, every chapter has an introduction with me basically saying, you know, why what these things meant to me growing up and why they're significant and, and what makes them special um, to me. And I, and I hope it's relatable enough that when people read it, that they can see their own stories in that because I'm not, I'm not claiming any particular ownership over any of those things. They weren't just for me. They were, they were for all of us. And yeah. uh, although I think that it would be difficult for people to be fans of every single thing in the book, that's not, that's not, that's not important. Because if you like ten of the twenty subjects that you feel that you can really get in on, you'll probably have a an aunt or an uncle or, or, or friends or you know your parents. You know, you, the, between you, your family, your friendship circle you'll probably have somebody who's into all of those things and so i i just it, it was a kind of work of love honestly i just sound silly maybe but it was just, no. it was just it was just it was, it was so much of what i wanted to say uh kind of came out to it so it became more than just a quiz book it's not just who did this here's the answer thank you very much it's like <laughs> Uh, as you can tell from the way I just literally my sentence begins and then three hours later you're thinking <laughs> where did that sentence begin um you know the question I give the answer and then I'll probably give another half a page of additional information <laughs> like I like there was a question in the 50 science fiction uh chapter where I ask about where I talk about the origins of Klaatu, Barada, Nikto the phrase <laughs> that is the phrase that has to get Gort to stop his rampage in 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 uh in the day the earth stood still. And, um, and actually, you know, that phrase has been used so much over the years in, in um, the medieval dead, in, in Return of the Jedi, uh, mm. in, in so many different things. And, and I just kind of went off on this whole kind of sort of um, trivia uh, rabbit holes. And uh, just, uh, I found all this, you know, great stuff. And I just wanted to share it because that I find kind of thrilling and fun and crazy and, um, and you know, wonderful. And uh, so that, that that's what I wanted to impart in the book. I just, and, you know, now I've got it all out of my head. I can, uh, it's, it's completely empty as you can tell. <laughs> and, and I can just, you know, I can die happy because it's like, I got it out. That's my contribution. This is really, this is, you know, whatever else I do in my life, this is like, this was like 50 years in the making, really. This was like everything up to the, up to where I was when I wrote it and writing it was just a thrill. I, I love doing it. I, I've never had, better focus than when I was doing that. I mean, I was probably, I think I was a nightmare to live with because it was like, there was that and nothing else. <laughs> and I would watch movies and, you know, all night and I would wake up thinking about questions and I, you know, I was incredibly focused on it, but honestly, it was just so much fun, you know, for, as a, as a freelance uh, writer for mo mo most of my career, um, and I do social media because, you know, you've got to do whatever you've got to do to make a crust, you know, um, for sure. Most of the things I write about are not necessarily things I want to write about. You know, you have to, you know, cover a lot of crap. And, and it's not something I necessarily want to. And, and I've done social media for websites that you would never believe that I did. 
and I will never tell you who I wrote for. <laughs> no, you might as well tell me right now. <laughs> Make a list. <laughs> because it was like writing about that stuff was just so mundane, a lot of it. Um, I like I did, I, I got a gig I, I did to um, do uh, the descriptions of like a thousand watches for a catalog once. <laughs> and it was the most mind-numbing job ever. And I learned words like bezel and uh, and just and then after a while it was like uh, I, you know I just had it down pat and I would write it and it was like I hope that when I get to the end of this job a I never do it again and b I hope everything that I've learned about watches I forget you know and, and I have <laughs> I've worked really hard to not learn anything about that world and I would never go back to it. But you know look as a, when you when when you you got to do what you got to do you know. It's not like it's not like real work, <laughs> you know. I, I'm, it's not like going down into the mines or anything. It's it's just sitting on my ass and uh, staring at my computer. But when it, but for what I really want to do, for what I really want to do, this book was what I really, really wanted to do for such a long time. And so I hope that my the madness and and, and enthusiasm and craziness it's all it's all kind of in there and it's it's been well received i think it's 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 a tough book it is a yeah. tough book. well you, well you have you have my endorsement marshall because i'm i'm making my way through the whole thing but i have gotten past the simpsons part and you know i, I did that section and i i was i was damn close to getting them all but uh maybe 90% of them but you know, there are some that really make you stop and think. And, and, you know, there's a nice mix of questions that I really, you know, I, I appreciate that, like, you know, you sort of start off with, you know, hey, oh, I, I can answer these. These are not so bad. And then you get into the weeds a little bit. There's some that are a little, little, a lot harder to think. And uh, I, especially some of them, I think if you were put on the spot, a lot of people couldn't answer some of them. Mm. And I mm. think that makes it fun too. They're not, there's some that you can get to but on the spot, it's, ah, you know, they're harder to, to answer. So I think you did a great job. Yeah, actually, how boring it would be if you could answer all the questions, <laughs> you know, really. It's like, what do you want to do a quiz where you know absolutely every single answer? If you could get if you can get 40 out of 50, then it's like I'd say that, you know, you've done an amazing job. And if you can learn a few things, then that's that's just all, all the better. You know, if you could turn to the back and, you know, discover some, some, some long lost bit of uh, Simpsons trivia then um, I'd say everyone's a winner. The, the first one, I think, I think will trip some people up actually. So, you know, anyone listening should for sure get Vintage Geek. I think it's really great. Um, and, you know, if, if just get it to quiz your friends, get it to, you know, have a, have a Zoom quiz party, give out prizes, do something with it and use Marshall's book. Um, you know, and one thing that I want to mention about the book also uh, is that, you know, it has a foreword by Mike Reese, you know, one of, one of the it best does. It Simpsons does. writers. It does. Um, Mike's such a good guy. How, how did, how did that come about? I mean, it also has, you know, questions by Yardley Smith, Josh Weinstein, Michael Price. Uh, what is it like to have the endorsement of people from the Simpsons world, but also how did that sort of come to be? Well, um, you know, I'm a Twitter obsessive as I, as I, when I was working on, on jobs like this, like the watches and and other things where I wasn't like completely um, professionally satisfied. Um, I would spend more time on my, on my Twitter page. So it, it got to a point when um, I, I felt like that was where I poured out my creativity and it was a good, I, I always love Twitter because um, it's sort of a perfect sort of balance of of image and words and uh, and, and all my training uh, and experience as like as a journalist and being able to put things succinctly and as a headline writer and so I just felt like I was sort of like built to 
thrive on on Twitter, <laughs> and and I wanted to create. Um, I kind of went about it like uh, like it wasn't. It, it's a private site. It's a personal site. It's not private. It's a personal site. But at the same time, um, I, I, I kind of approached it with the same gusto that I would if I was uh, promoting some great nerd brand I just became that nerd brand and and uh, and all the things that I was into um, it, it just I would you know do birthdays and and um, clips and uh, pictures from my adventures over the years people who I've uh, people that I've interviewed and, and met and uh, you know once you hit 50 if you've been doing this since the 80s um you know, you end up with quite a lot of cool stuff, especially if you just nonstop uh, collect. And, uh, you know, there are, I had some great adventures and I love talking about those and, and showing pictures and, and, and insights. And anyway, you know, my, if anybody's seen my uh, Twitter uh, page at Marshall Julius, it's like it's all there, you know, it speaks for itself. <laughs> and um, I, I suppose... Uh, now I now have like over a hundred thousand followers, and a lot of those uh, became the, the the people who I was writing about. You know, it became the kind of I got a lot of celebrity followers, and everyone it was like you know very. I found it very exciting. I found it very exciting. Definitely. My first sort of celebrity encounter on Twitter was I was watching an episode of Girls, and Bob Balaban, the actor, he was he appeared in an episode as Hannah's uh, shrink. And in the episode, she was talking about, I think, having trouble writing a book. And he told her about a series of books he wrote about like a, a, a time-traveling dog or it was some <laughs> crazy thing. And so I posted afterwards on Twitter saying, um, I would love to read a series of books about that. <laughs> and, and he and he uh, replied, he said, well, actually, you know, that was sort of an in-joke. And I have written a series of books about that. Wow. And, and I thought it was, uh, you know, as a journalist who's always I've met a lot of famous people, but there was always the, the, the PR people, the marketing people as the buffer in between. Like, you know, you would see the movie, you were putting the request to do the interview, you would have to jump through a lot of hoops, maybe sometimes what you were going to talk about and, and, and then how long you would spend talking to them. And, you know, it was it was extremely formal. And there's a whole apparatus to basically keep you apart for the most part and until you could have those few minutes with them. Right. And um, and what I found with, with Twitter was it was like, screw all those PR guys, screw all the people who are actually, and it's gotten worse and worse over the years. I mean, when I started, I could get an hour interview with, you know, with really big stars. And then, you know, more recently, you're lucky if you get three minutes on camera. I mean, it's stupid. It's just <laughs> stupid. So I found that, you know, then I realized that actually Twitter is a way where you can directly talk to people. Yeah. And okay, most of the people who you uh, tag in a conversation, they're not necessarily going to respond to you. But you find that a lot of them do. A lot of them are also just as happy to talk to their fans or people who are interested in or people um who have similar interests, right. um, they're, they're not on it just to promote themselves. They're on it because I, I've discovered, um, to my delight, that a lot of my heroes, a lot of the writers and, and artists and actors, and the filmmakers who I admire, these a lot of my nerd heroes are just massive nerds themselves. You know, they're just colossal dorks. And, and I, I just love them. You know, I, I, I kind of... 
make friends with, you know, I posted all my Simpsons stuff and slowly I started to see people, you know, writers and creatives off, off the Simpsons started following me. And, you know, I, I noticed I would reach out to them, say hello, or I would tag them in things. And, you know, slowly you get to chat and then you get, I mean, I'm not saying you're necessarily like friends, but you're friendly. You'll have a lot, you're, you're closer to them. You have more access than you ever could before. Right. And if you don't abuse that, um, it, it's, it's a real, I found it was like a, a privilege. And the thing that I enjoyed about my job was getting to meet my heroes. And the thing that Twitter, you know, as my following got larger and larger, and when I got more, my account got verified and then I became like a real boy. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then suddenly all these other verified accounts started following me. And so what I did was I thought, um, got to, you know, exploit the shit out of this. Uh, <laughs> no, no, that makes me sound terrible. And I thought, well, maybe I, I got the contract for the book, right? And after I got the contract for the book, I thought, wouldn't it be cool if I could actually ask a bunch of my, you know, kind of people that I'm connected with on Twitter to contribute a question. I didn't even use that as a, as a sweetener to try and get the contract. And honestly, that was, that was like the hardest thing in the end to get 50 questions from celebrities because some people, um, some people I just said, can I have a question? And they would send it back, easy, done. You know, I got I got a dozen like that. Some people, um, you know, needed a little bit of coaxing or a bit of chasing. And it's fair enough because I wasn't offering to give them like any money or anything. I was literally <laughs> just, you know, scrounging questions. And uh, I, 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 it just blew my mind. It's like one question after another, after another came in. And most of the people are the ones that follow me. Um, I called in, uh, my, my cousin Ronald um, had some um, contacts at CBS. And he doesn't follow me. He got George Takei to give me a question. Um, wow. Star Trek chapter. Um, Mark Hamill uh, follows me now. And Mark is like amazingly supportive uh, of, of the book and has said very nice things about it. But before um, he knew that I was like doing a book, um, I, I I did a tweet. I said, uh, Mark, uh, I'm writing a Star Wars quiz. I didn't, I wasn't ready to tell people that I was doing a book at the time. I said, I'm doing a Star Wars quiz. And, you know, could you, uh, have you got a question for me? And immediately, I mean, within a few hours, he responded with the most amazing question. And uh, so I put it in the book. Then he became an official contributor to Vintage Geek. I was a bit <laughs> cheeky, but he was very he was very patient and very nice. And he didn't sue me. And he ended up, I sent him a copy of the book and he was incredibly cool about it. Wow. And, uh, you know, Mark Hamill is like... Uh, one of the great nerds of our time, oh, you know. We don't deserve Mark. He's a huge Ray Harryhausen fan, and he he just he grew up with all the same things uh, as as me, as so many of us, and um, and he just really enjoys his place in pop culture history, and uh, he has so many heroes of his own that he gets it. He doesn't act high and mighty. He's not sort of unavailable. I, I just admire him so much. So do I. And to have a question from him in the book and. So Mike Reese, so, so this is my incredibly long way to begin to answer your question. <laughs> yes, I'm just beginning to answer the question. It's so, okay. It's all good information. It's all good I, information. I am at a convention in England, and I get a DM from Mike Reese saying, Marshall, you are my favorite person on, on Twitter. And, um, wow. uh, and uh, I saw that you're a... Comic-Con, I'm a Comic-Con, come and meet me, let's have a chat. 
so I'm like mind blown, you know, Mike Reese, it's like, oh my God, the guy presided over, um, you know, my favorite seasons of The Simpsons, many of my favorite seasons of The Simpsons. He, he personally wrote um, so many of my favorite uh, lines and uh, wow. Um, so I'm like, okay, I will come and find you. Where are you? Oh, I'm not sure. I think I'm in uh, I'm in area 97 or he said or something. So and I was in you know, like the O2... Um, I can't remember. I was at some massive convention site, and uh, it was just, just you know, these places are kind of just exhaustingly enormous. Oh yeah, and and I thought, okay, I'm going to find you. You know, he said, oh, I'll come in the green room beside this. Okay, fine, fine, I'll find you. I I spent an hour searching for him. I, I couldn't find I couldn't find the number. It just didn't seem to go that high. And I was like, okay, there's got to be like an annex or something. <laughs> and then I went to the the the, uh, the people who were organising it, and I said, yeah, I'm trying to find my Reese. And where's my Reese? And it's like he said, he's in the green room. And you know, my Reese is waiting for me. For Christ's sake, you know, can you help me? And they're like, okay, Marshall, we'll try. And um, I like I drove everyone crazy for like an hour. And then I said. Uh, I said, I said, you know, Mike, uh, I can't find you. I, I don't know where you are. I've spent ages and ages looking for you. And that was then we figured that we were actually at different comic cons, <laughs> <laughs> and that he was at one in America and I was at one in London. Oh and um, you know, uh, and we were both equally mistaken, but that I was the one that had spent an hour driving people mad looking for him. Um, <laughs> So we oh how we laughed, but I thought that was our that was our almost meet cute story. Yeah, you know. Um, about six months later or something, um, I ended up going to New York uh, for for um, uh, to see some family, and um, and I knew that he lived in New York, and he did say to me after we almost met, you know, at this convention. Although obviously we, that was not going to happen, but he said, "You know, if you come to New York, um, let's, you know, I'll take you out for lunch. Come meet me, and you know, let's hang out." So, coming to New York, and uh, I, I DM him. He gives me his number. Um, I'm there with my wife, and he says, uh, "Yeah, come up to my apartment, and um, and you know, let's hang out, and we'll go out for lunch." So it's like, okay. So uh, we 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 made our way to his apartment, and my wife she she's uh, not she's she's like a proper grown up, and she's not a nerd at all. <laughs> you know, I think a proper think grown that, up. You know, I love it. There may be some ways that it would be easier if, if we were both into the same things. I think mostly not. I think if she was like me, the power of our two, you know, it would just there would it, you know it'd be like. It'd be like two suns colliding. It would just be, it would just be like too much. So it's like I feel like I need her had had to balance me out. So basically, she's not a huge Simpsons fan. She's got nothing against the Simpsons, but it didn't really. She she didn't really wasn't something that kind of factored into her early life. And, so she uh, she was the cool one in the situation. I can relate to that also. She's always the cool one in the situation. <laughs> she's the cool one in every situation. So um so you know she was interested in, in meeting Mike, and you know I was telling her you know stories about him and, and things that he'd done and and so she was interested um 
and we get there and and so it took me a while to calm down after we met you know and i'm telling him about my favorite episodes and then i quoted something from homer gives up god and he said oh i i wrote that line and it was like <laughs> and, and my wife Ruth, she said she was just staring at me and it was like i was like just an alien <laughs> it was like because she caught me in full fan mode um but uh you know i, I calmed down we we chatted i became you know I, I kind of tried to you know dial it back to a to a 9.5 you know and uh hard to do sometimes we took he, he doesn't have a lot of stuff he's really a minimalist he, he doesn't have a lot of simpson stuff i thought he was going to have a ton of simpson stuff that i could go and i could just loot the hell out of his stuff <laughs> but he's like he has almost you know no simpson stuff it, it's it's um, it's funny because i'm finding that to be the case like even uh when i had jake hogan on he was like yeah i gave most of it away you know i, I didn't want to keep a lot of this a lot of that and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna continue to bother Al Jean about this randomly from time to time, but he did say he has boxes of stuff in his garage. I'm like, you know, Al, when you go through that, you know, let's talk, let me see what you got, you know? So, yeah. so most of them have gotten rid of it, which is wild. So I've, I've heard that too. It's crazy. You go to that garage, go to the garage <laughs> and just take it. He doesn't care. He's making money. He doesn't need stuff. It's like, go and go and rescue it because it's just sad. If it's, if it's there and unloved, um, it needs, it needs rescuing one day. So, um, so uh, Mike was really cool. We went out, he took us out uh, to his like uh, local deli and I love deli food. Uh, you know, I'm, uh, I'm Jewish. So uh, as, uh, as a Jewish, uh, as a Jewish Londoner, I, I feel like, you know, New Yorkers and, you know, I feel like I have a certain kind of kinship with New York, especially, um, well, I love, I love America. I love all of America, but New York feels the most like home, of, of of anywhere for me uh, you know i love the city and new york is like super cool london as far as i'm concerned <laughs> so I, I just uh we had a very nice time then we went for a walk and it was just like a really lovely day by the end of it i, I think that uh i think that we were friends and um certainly i felt comfortable asking him if he would write a uh the forward for my book and he helped me um connect me with uh, Yardley who gave me a question. She's been amazing and incredibly uh, supportive. Really, I can't say enough uh, great things about her. And so, you know, we get the foreword from from Mike and in which he describes me as a nearsighted Jewish snowman, like without my glasses on, like I would just look like I was made of meringue. <laughs> and I thought, this is so cool. I'm being roasted by Mike Reese. It was like amazing. And then he does the perfect insult comic thing about making fun of himself, saying he looked like hot garbage. And and uh, he talked about when he first met me and, and, and my wife, Ruta, and how he actually fantasized about killing me and running away with her, <laughs> which is the reason that he still hasn't shown um, his wife um, the forward he wrote. That's so funny. <laughs> he said he doesn't ever want her to uh, to read it. She's very nice as well. They've come to London and we've hung out a bit more and uh, they're just incredibly um, sweet and, and funny and nice and welcoming and, and generous. And uh, they travel all the time. On, on their Facebook feed, it's just they're always somewhere. Oh yeah, they're 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 living the life. They're doing it right. I mean, why not? Like if you, are. no, no, why not? Absolutely. And once a week, he goes back to uh, to uh, spend a few hours like chatting with his Simpsons buddies. 
working on scripts yeah. and the rest of the time he's you know he's touring and uh you know giving uh lectures about the simpsons which is you know kind of fun and amazing and and traveling and having just the best life yeah and, you know what i like something that's great about um uh, Mike and the thing that I think that um, all people who are successful should be is nice yeah. and gracious and appreciative of their own success and not that it that, that it doesn't turn them into um, reclusive, difficult or 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 kind of uh, superior sort of people. Right. You know, I've met a lot of different kinds of successful people, and uh, you know, Mike is definitely Mike is you know good people. You know, I've had so you know I've met William Shatner. Let's put it that way. I, he's he was not good people. Oh, I, he was a dick to me. Uh, he was such a dick to me. Although he does follow me on Twitter, but when he did, he uh, he he, I, I DM'd him. Um, I said, "Can I have a question for my book?" And he's like, "It's never going to happen." And he said, "Actually, uh, Marshall, I followed you by mistake, but I think that you may be able to help me uh, promote a project in the future. So I'm going to stay connected with you." And I thought that is wonderful thank you <laughs> yeah that's that's next level bad I, I you know i gotta say um you know i wasn't taken out to a nice deli by mike yet but i i met mike at a convention as well when he was promoting springfield confidential and i was such a great book it's such so a great good book. and i was overjoyed by how kind mike was i mean he i, I had brought a like my childhood episode guide and he signed mm. it and he was telling me stories. He's like, oh, did you know, you know, Mr. Bergstrom is modeled after me and let me sign this page too. And all, I mean, all this great stuff. He was so friendly. I told him how much I love the critic. You know, I'm just talking about all this stuff. Oh yeah. The critic. I, I, God, I learned so much from the critic because I was actually becoming a film critic around the same time. Right. And it was like, it stinks. <laughs> it stinks. Was my mantra for years. And it yeah. was all down to him. It's such a, such a great show. And it, I was, you know, he was actually one of the first people from the show that I did meet, and he is one of the only ones I've met in person. And I just talked about it for weeks. I was like, oh, I met Mike Reese. He was amazing. And, uh, you know, so I, I think all of that is totally believable. And it also, I think that that is something I've found doing this podcast with a lot of Simpsons people. Um, all of them that I've had the pleasure of hanging out with and talking to have just been so giving of their time, so mm -hmm. friendly. And, uh, you know, they just, they do, they care a lot about the show. They care a lot about the fans and, uh, it really shows. So that's, you know, I think Mike is a great example of the kind of people that have come from the show or that work on the show or that still do, or that, you know, um, and I love hearing all that. That's all really funny. Oh, no, he's, he's the, he's the exactly right because he's, 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 he's good people, but he will also relentlessly take the piss out of you. <laughs> and it's like that, that I appreciate because me, you know, uh, when you're with your friends, it's like you, you do not, you just constantly roast each other. Oh yeah. You know, that, you is, should, just, anyway. that is the way. And so it's like, as far as I'm concerned, if somebody is, um, likes you enough to uh to make fun of you to your face then that is something that i i really you know that i really appreciate the, the i i i cannot take uh politeness i cannot <laughs> take anybody if somebody's like says nothing but nice things um to me i'm like what the hell's wrong with them yeah no it's, <laughs> you know, it's a fact it's like that guy must hate me oh my god did you hear all the nice things he said he must think i'm such an asshole well you know i i my friends and i were brutal to each other growing up and i always say uh that i think we were all better for it and whenever i meet someone who you know for for any any list of reasons 
uh, is, is, you know, an asshole or a jerk or like too sensitive or whatever it may be. I always say mm-hmm. like, man, his friends were not mean enough to him because he didn't learn those, those lessons. My friends and I are so close to this day because we gave each other a hard time. Now there's a difference in that and just being a piece of shit, but I think you have to keep each other in check. Yeah. Yeah. We're not talking about like, you know, it's kind of serious hazing or bullying. Or <laughs> right. Yeah, you, you, know, you got to give each other well, a hard time. Know, we're stopping short of, you know. Yeah, you're not, you're not, you're not beating each other with a sack of doorknobs or anything, you know. <laughs> yeah, I'm not being hit by a, by a pillowcase full of oranges, so it'll only cause internal bruising. Right. Um, yeah. Well, yeah, that's all. That's all fantastic. And uh, you know, another thing, other than just your book, another another reason that I wanted to have you on and talk to you is, you know, you are a collector, and you know, me being a collector is a large reason that I started this podcast in the first place, because my Instagram, which led to my Twitter, Mm -hmm. which led to the podcast, it just sort of, you know, step after step after step. And, you know, as someone is, who is a collector, I feel that kinship with you. Uh, Tell me a little bit about when you first had interest in collecting and what do you think is so satisfying about collecting in your opinion? Gosh, that's a good question. Um, I was just, I was completely born that way. I think that I ha- must have magpie in my DNA because it's like I'm just drawn to not exactly shiny things, but little plastic curios and uh, badges and pins and fridge magnets and um, comic books. And, uh, you know, uh, I, I I love the shows, the franchises, the, the, the films. Um and I love the merchandise that comes with it. You know, it was like, uh, and, and, and sometimes you can love the merch more than you love, uh, more than you love the properties that they're based on. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's, uh, you know, sometimes it's like, well, that Star Wars film was incredibly disappointing, but there's this amazing set <laughs> and you get all these extra minifigures and it's such a satisfying build. And, uh, you know, it's, I, I've always, since I was since I was very small, uh, I've been into collecting. Um, the stories that I tell frequently um, are that it was my mother who kind of, I, I think, introduced me first to the world of fandom. We would watch a lot of old movies together, and she would, you know, tell me about the actors and 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 kind of clue me into those sort of things. So she was like my 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 special features. She was like the direct. She was like the commentary. She, <laughs> so I I kind of from a very early age I got interested and and, and aware of the behind the scenes world of, it, of the actors and their relationships with each other and the directors and and you know she would know some she would know some stuff. She used to read um, a lot film magazines you know when she was younger and also my cousin ronald was a collector um before me he's four years older than me mm. and i used to go to his house and i was spectacularly jealous of his collection <laughs> he had he had the coolest stuff and it was at a time when it was hard to get that stuff nowadays you know thanks to the internet it's an ebay it's it's, it's not that difficult you know yes there are some things that you have to hunt for and hunt for um uh, but you know, it used to be much harder to get hold of right. hold of you these know, things. I, I say that now, as long as you know what you're looking for, you yeah. know, you can find it. You might, it might take you a while, but you can you can yeah. get there. So. Yeah, and then it comes. To, it just comes down to: Can I afford that? Can I? You know, am I prepared to? You know, to go to that expense? Right. Um, 
But I, I just found everything so incredibly appealing and attractive uh, uh, about that. My dad was a. Uh, my dad was in the rag trade. You know that? Do you have that phrase? You know, uh, he was in the clothes business. He had his own clothes shops. They call it the rag trade. Interesting. You know, in kind of old sort of cottony. Um, and he was, when he started, he was a window dresser. So he had a son, he had an eye for creating a nice window display. And, and my mom, um, although she never did it commercially, she was an artist. She was a great painter, and she did a lot of paintings for me. Um, she did Spielberg one. She did uh, Dalek and R2-D2. Mm. And then she would just do all sorts of crazy things for me. And and so I had um, combining uh, my mom's love of films, my my uh, my cousin's, um, you know, kind of collecting obsession, um, and, and the way how her, the, the, my dad would display things. It's like all of those influences come together in, 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 in how I'm driven to collect and uh, how I want these little pieces of these different things because they represent moments in time when, you know, I got that badge when I went to see, you know, um, Herbie Goes Bananas <laughs> in the North London cinema. And, or I, you know, I got those badges in, in my, in, in my, birthday crackers when I was six years old or you know I remember when my brothers came home from seeing um Jaws and they brought me the program and uh, and uh, I was too I was too young to go and see it and uh, you know and I just kept all of these things you know the first time I saw Star Wars I only have very sketchy recollections of seeing the film itself mm -hmm. I mean I love the film yeah I went to see it many many times but I remember more coming out of the cinema afterwards and they set up all these tables and they were covered in merchandise. They didn't sell it before because nobody knew about, you know, we didn't know right. what we were going to become obsessed with. But when <laughs> I, it was like I was being born and not only was I born, I was born into this room full of amazing merchandise that my mom just splashed out and bought me all this stuff. And, and uh, wow. yeah, it's honestly, the, 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 it, it, merchandise and the things that inspire it for me it's all one big lovely uh world and i've created this kind of uh my my, my den over the years it's gotten bigger and bigger as i've moved and it's become more elaborate but it's like as far as i'm concerned it's like a, just a big nerd hug you know just it just i'll, I'll give you a, i'll just give you the kind of the wrap around thing so it's like because it goes all the way Oh man! Everywhere, I love it. It just and even on the ceiling. <laughs> because why not? Why you not? Know? I, I got to say, the floor is quite empty, so I definitely need more stuff. Although I am, you know, the, the, believe me, there's plenty of stuff on the floor as well. That, that's a but that's it, a thing that anyone who doesn't collect doesn't understand. At any given time, my room, the floor of this room is covered with the stuff I haven't found room for yet, which is, which oh, yeah. is pretty, pretty it's, common. It, it takes a while. You've got to live with it. <laughs> You've got to live with it for a while. And sometimes maybe you actually have to move something that had a, a, a place of prominence. You have to put it somewhere else yeah. and you have to put your new thing there. I do have you to know, do that from time to time. Shifting, evolving thing. And I've been doing that since um, I was... 13 formally since i was 13 i was collecting since i was six i started not throwing things away i started treasuring things i started seeing the value in things like i've got a coke bottle from when i was about seven my dad died when i was like nine 
And I kind of, uh, a couple of years before then, we went to uh, the off-license where you, where you get, um, you know, drinks and to get a crate of Coca-Colas as well as other things for a party. And the proper bottles, you know, none of this can bullshit, all these no. plastic bottles, the proper glass ones, the, the ones that you would return and, you know, get a few pennies. Um, and, and and at the time, a lot of people at school were wearing these uh, Coca-Cola um little Coca-Cola chains around there, little tiny little bottles. And it's because it was an iconic design. Yes. And and I, I used to, I, I, I never had one of those, never really been a big jewelry person, <laughs> but I love the bottle. I thought I was, from when I was very small, I, I just, I just sort of saw the beauty in things. And it, just because they were like super common or commercially produced didn't mean that I didn't regard it as, as treasure. And I remember I, I said to him, I said, can I have one of these Cokes? And he said, what, to drink? I said, no, I, I actually don't want to drink it. I just want to have it as like an ornament. <laughs> and I thought he was going to like um, say, Marshall, that is insane. It's food. It's not. But he was like, yeah, okay. You know, he probably thought, what a weirdo. But, uh, but no, he was, he, he, and he said, okay. And he gave it to me. And um, I've still got that Coke bottle. Wow. And, uh, you know, I would not drink from that because you probably have like, it'd be like when Homer ate the chili, you know, <laughs> I think you'd, go on, you'd have a pretty strange trip if you, if you tried to drink yeah, that. Yeah, probably but not just, a good idea. You know, I, I just, I just, I'm, I'm a silly, sentimental uh, man and I was a silly, sentimental uh, boy. I, like, um, there's something that I, I kind of said that my cousin said he really liked that I said I was born nostalgic it was like my mom was very nostalgic about things. And so uh, from when I was, you know, uh, tiny, I, I, I was kind of nostalgic for things. You know, she sold me on the past. Yeah. And um, so I was just sort of valuing that. I just, um, it, it, I, does that somehow answer your question? No, Have it, I begun to answer No, it, it does. And, and, and I, man, I got to tell you, Marshall, I think we were just, we were straight up separated in some sort of, uh, alternate universe or something because I, I relate to that so much. I mm. I collected weird little things as a kid like that. I wanted to keep bottles. I wanted to keep cans. You know, I like to keep special quarters, like any, you know, basketball cards, anything that I just really yeah. enjoyed compiling stuff well before I ever had any interest in collecting. And, you know, mm. even before I became a Simpsons collector, there's people that listen to this podcast that don't know. But when I was younger, I was really into, you know, I collected records or I collected mm. band T-shirts or I collected all these things. So I've always had an interest in in having like, you know, the best of something or like this is like I have a, you know, a, a focus on this or a focus on that. And Simpsons being such a present in my life from the beginning, once I got to a certain age and I had the time and the space I was like, you know what? I'm just going to really learn as much as I can about the Simpsons merchandise and its origin and all the places that made it and what's special to, you know, all these mm, different mm. areas. And I'm going to get into that in a bit as far as in regards to you. But I just something about it really brought the two together for me. My love of compiling things and my love of the Simpsons into, you know, this perfect little marriage of what I have going on now. So I completely relate to what you're saying in that way also, because just having an appreciation for a thing is really infectious. And that whether it's mm-hmm. one thing or several things, it can really snowball into, uh, into something that's really, really fun or maybe a problem in my case, who knows, but it's really, Oh yeah, no, no. I mean, uh, it, it, it's definitely, so it's, 
it's definitely sort of like a mental disorder, <laughs> but it's, but you know, I'm a kind of, uh, I suppose, high functioning with it. It's like you get, when you hit a certain age, when you hit 50, I'll warn you, you start to think, what is going to happen? <laughs> like, am I just leaving an enormous problem for my family? <laughs> you know? <laughs> so um i plan to just never die yeah because i think it would just be too damn awkward and i don't want to sell it I, i'm you know that's why i'm a big unboxer because for me it's a sort of a political statement it's about unboxing because it's like i'm not collecting for um for an investment right i'm not collecting because I, i'm looking at, at what's going to happen in the future um Everything I got, I got because I loved. Uh, a lot of my collection has value now because I just, you know, been doing it for years and years. Right. Because you know, I became, you know, obsessed about Star Wars at a time when Star Wars was new, and so I, especially like, I was, I was like thirteen, fourteen when um, Return of the Jedi came out, and that was when I kind of formalized. That was when I realized that I was a prop, you know, a collector for real, and I was going to like. I was going to just um, set about it with serious gusto and I was getting decent pocket money <laughs> and I could just invest every penny in, in going to comic shops every Saturday and, uh, and starting to seek these things out and just, you know, becoming like really and going to um, comic conventions and collectors marts and things, you know, whenever I could find out about them and, you know, just became very much my, my kind of, um, my focus and so i've got everything that came out for return of the jedi really wow. a lot of uh, printed a lot of ephemera a lot all the books and wow and it's cool that i've been able to you know then um get a lot of those things signed from doing interviews over the years you know when i became a journalist i was exploited every single opportunity <laughs> if i interviewed a comic artist i'd always have like some nice writers pens and pencils and a pad and it's like while we're chatting would you mind just doing a, a little sketch for me uh, and stuff <laughs> And you uh, so, to. you know, you have to. Um, Will Eisner drew the spirit for me. Um, I've got uh, the uh, Gilbert Shelton drew the Freak Brothers for me. Wow. Um, Chuck Jones drew a uh, Wiley Coyote and Roadrunner for me. And, uh, you know, it was a privilege to... Um, to 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 spend time with them and uh it was a thrill to actually leave those things with these insane collectibles right and, uh, so you know i, I kind of always try to make the most out of every situation basically um because i i realized at the time that i was meeting these people and it was it was not a common thing no you know no and and i, and I love i love hearing you know you talk about unboxing i i i think that that is it's not a controversial thing to me personally, but there are collectors that are like, Oh, you know, I can't believe you opened that. Or, you know, a recent example is I, I recently got this watch uh, by a company called Xeon. It's like a really big wall clock. That's meant to look like a wristwatch, but it's like three feet long and it's very rare. Oh yeah. I've seen those. Those are fun. Yeah. They're great. And they're very rare, uh, especially the Simpsons one. And the one that I bought recently, I've been looking one for one for a long time. Uh, the box wasn't in great shape and I do keep some stuff boxed. I do open some stuff. It all depends, but I opened this watch and I, I did get a few people that were like, I can't believe you opened that, you know, but I'm like you, if, if I, if I love the box and the box is really nice, if it brings me joy in the box, it stays in the box, but I collect it for myself, like you said. Mm. And if it, if it brings me more joy being open to be appreciated the way it was meant mm. to be, then I'm going to open it. And I think that that is something collectors should you know, sort of break the stigma of like, if you collect having value is, is, is also part of the fun to some people. And I get that I'm the same way, but 
you have to let your collection be your collection. Like you can't Mm. say, well, this will be worth money someday. So it's worth having. You have to have it because you want it. So I really, I like hearing that perspective from another collector. Um, I tell you, it makes me laugh when I see like Funko collectors uh, becoming so obsessed <laughs> with, um, you mustn't take things out of the box. It's like, mate, those things are mass produced on a massive scale at a time <laughs> when there's a million people like you saying, I'm going to save this and it's going to be in perfect condition. I'm going to keep it in a box, in a box. I'm never going to touch it. It's going to be all covered, surrounded with reflective surfaces, but I'm going to keep it in a box. I'm going to have a room that looks like a stock room because it's just going to be like, uh, you know, mountains high of all these Funko toys. And what they don't realize is that there's a, the, the, there are thousands of collectors like that all over the world, all doing the same thing. Those things will never have any scarcity. No. They are mass-produced for the collector's market, yep. which means that none of them will ever have any serious value. Yeah, I don't know how many of you remember Beanie Babies, but, uh, oh, yeah. I mean, Funko Pops, you know, and I, I have some of the Simpsons ones, and I actually think some of them are quite I funny. Love fun- I love Funko. But they are but going I to be Beanie out. Babies. They're going to be Beanie Babies. <laughs> yeah, you have, but you have to take them out. You have to enjoy them because what's the bloody point about keeping them in the box? It doesn't make any sense. If you get, if I got hold of, say, uh, an old um, Barnick Man, a uh, $6 million Man uh, action figure, and that was still boxed, I would probably keep that in the box. Right. I would respect that, that it had survived all these years. Maybe I would try and sneakily you know, take it out if I couldn't damage the box or anything. Right. Um, I can see some, some things in which you would keep the packaging. I've got an old Thunderbolt um, James Bond toy that is just the shittiest little action figure you've ever seen. Zero articulation, painting by a blind person, no disrespect intended. And it's just the worst, most ugly molded piece of crap ever. Um, but it, because it's in this Thunderbolt packaging, it's just hilarious. It would have no context out of the packaging. So that, of course, um, I, I'll keep it in the packaging. You know, there are always exceptions. And if you get something old, then I would kind of respect that. But I think especially now, anything produced in the last 20, 25 years, honestly, I think you have to question the the, the, the point of keeping it um, boxed because so many other people are doing that now. Yeah. You know, those things were produced as toys for children who unboxed them and played them to death and loved them. Yep. And um, so having something boxed from that era, from the 60s, the 70s, you know, uh, that's like that's like rare and that, that becomes something special. Right. Um, as soon as people became, as soon as companies became wise to collectibles, um, it, it just changed the game. Once they started building in scarcity, um, like with trading cards, chase cards, right. and you know, there's only one of these in a box, and you know, there's not even a whole set in a crate, and and how you'd have to go mad trying to complete sets, and uh, and 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 then you know, you if you wanted to try and be a completist, you never can be a completist. <laughs> Because it's like, even if you've got the complete set, there's going to be some damn convention in, 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 you know, in, in, in Florida or Buenos Aires, or there's going to be somewhere where they did a damn variant. Or there's a slightly different color or a 3d version or, and you're never going to get that. Right. And even if you get that, it's going to turn out that there's something else somewhere, or there's, there's five cards that were produced all different, all hand drawn. And so really, unless you get all of those, you're never going to have the whole set, but you can't, you just, you just can't 
do it. And that way lies complete madness. So I don't collect with a schedule. I don't collect with a kind of, I have to get this, this, this. I just kind of always, I, I, the way I collect is I resist everything. Um, but the things I cannot resist. Yeah. Well, those are the things that I get. And that has become my collection. And, and Marshall, Marshall is really making some great points here. And, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm sure there's some collectors listening to this that agree. I'm sure there's some that disagree. And look, what I say, collect in a way that makes you happy. Like, you know, I, I, I know that there are collectors out there. Don't that, listen to me, Jesus. No. If you want to keep everything in the box, then you, you go ahead and do that. But for me, it doesn't work. No, but that's, that's the thing is there's, you know, I think it's cool that, that there is such variance, but I do, you know, I, I meet other collectors along the way that their whole goal is to have as much as possible. And that if that makes you happy, that's cool. For me, I like to sort of the things that I, I think that I collect are a little more special to me or like, I really like the ceramics. I really like the bizarre mm. pieces. Um, I'm a big fan of Simpson stuff made in the UK. I think you guys had some of the best Simpson stuff period UK and Australia in a lot of ways, you know, smoked America when it came to the Simpsons merchandise. There's some really good Australian stuff. Yeah. They do some, I got the seven duffs, um, cards that they did yeah. in the Simpsons. I, I love those. And that was hard to collect a whole set. Yeah. And I've got a framed seven duffs. Yeah. I also like the shitty bootlegs. Like I've got a Mexican traffic cop, uh, Darth Vader. And, um, I love that. I love the shitty bootlegs that are just like super. Whenever we go on holiday anywhere, I always want to go to a market because I know I will find some terrible crappy <laughs> Spider-Man toy that is so far away from licensed. It is, it, you know, it's committing crimes across the Spider-Verse. <laughs> and it's, those are the things I want. Yeah. I want the things that just are ugly and misshapen and unloved, like the misfit toys. I just, I love all that stuff because it's all, if it makes you smile, if it gives you a, a thrill, and there is the, the most exciting part of collecting is when you find that thing. That's and, and then it sort of gets absorbed into the collection. Like like my collection is like the blob, and it just sort of like, <laughs> and it becomes you know one with it all. Uh, but you know, a, a lot of, some people say you know how can you uh, you know you can't really appreciate any one thing in your collection because it is like it is just a absolutely overwhelming but it's like um well i can i i i take their point but it's like unfortunately i don't live in the louvre or, or the smithsonian <laughs> and i don't have unlimited wall space and so this is i this is i make the best you know with uh you know what i can there are a few places outside of our outside of this room where i do have a few particular like nice uh, pictures and things that i wanted to give particular um, kind of a pride of place to right but for me the, the whole my whole collection is like a it, it's like a, a tribute to my uh to all the things i love from my life it's it's very you know nobody is going to have this this assembly of things no. it is completely unique and it's not just about buying stuff is it it's not just about owning stuff it, it's sort of curated exactly but it, but good word for that with a sort of madness yeah <laughs> there's no logic it's just it's just in my mind it makes sense yeah you know, so no and, and so you know that and that's that's what i mean like collect in a way that makes you happy don't measure your collection to someone else's don't think oh well i don't have as much stuff as this guy the world record is this you know i 
pride myself in my collection being interesting, but only because it's all the stuff that I like. And I think that that's, you know, it's like what Marshall's saying. That's what you should collect. If you like the weird ceramics, focus on that. If you like a little bit of this, a little bit of that, focus on that and just have fun. If you're not collecting because it's fun, I think you have the wrong hobby. It's just, uh, like I said, you know, I'm just sentimental about a great many things. And, uh, you know, I kind of, I've always just seen it as, I mean, you know, people say, you know, it's pop art, like it has, like it's somehow disposable, but I don't think it's, I don't think it's disposable, you know, I mean, you should look at, you know, it's, it's, it's like everything is just of its time. You know, people are like, oh, Mozart operas. I love Mozart's music. I love classical music. Always have done. Um, the classical music, movie music, I've just always been a music dork as well. Um, but, you know, Mozart's music, it was not written um, to be highfalutin. It wasn't written to be arty. It was written to be, you know, to entertain the masses. Right. And, and you know, that's that, that was the pop music of the day. So it's, it's like, you know, don't don't tell me that, you know, and on all of those paintings, just because Van Gogh didn't have any success selling his paintings didn't mean that he didn't paint them because he wanted to, you know, he, he painted them because he wanted to sell them because he wanted to, you know, make a crust. It's like all art is commercial and don't tell me otherwise, you know, I just, you know, all art is commercial. It's just some is more successful than others. I'm, I'm totally with it, man. I think that's super well said. And I, I couldn't agree more. Well, I, you know, I could, I could honestly just go on and on about collecting. That's like a thing that I, it's funny that this podcast was sort of born out of that, but it's something I don't go into enough detail about sometimes. So I really, I really enjoy that. But I do, uh, there are three questions that I like to ask everyone that comes on. That's not, you know, a direct uh, person from the show and sometimes even people from the show. Um, And it's, you know, it's three sort of softball questions, but I like to expand and sort of hear what people, you know, how people answer these sort of simple questions. Um, the first one is who is your favorite character? And I think we know that it's Homer. Um, but hey, definitely Homer with a, with us kind of, uh, a crusty chaser. <laughs> Why do you think Homer is your favorite even now? I, he was always just, I, look, he was the funniest and he was uh, the most relatable. He is the most achievable. He has the funniest lines. His voice makes me laugh. His wobbly tummy makes me laugh. Uh, you know, his ideas, the way he reacts to everything, the fact that he's been into space. You know, I mean, <laughs> it's like, what isn't to love? I I, I love, love Homer, you yeah. know. I just think he's he's spectacular and he he's he's influenced everything from my waistline to my parenting style. <laughs> yeah, I always love hearing I mean I, I love the perspective that each character gives people. And I, I when I had Carolyn Amine on, I love that she sort of similar to your answer was like, I just love Homer. He's just dumb and he just feels approachable. And I don't know, I think that's that's really great. Um, I would definitely go out drinking with Homer. Yeah. <laughs> and I would definitely go to an all-you-can-eat like uh, fish restaurant with him. You know, I would definitely I, – I think that uh, we could egg each other on and get into some trouble, definitely. <laughs> I love it. Um, okay, so what do you think is your favorite season? I know I know that one's not as easy, but what do you, what do you think? I don't know if I have a favorite season. It, I, I, I have most of my favorite episodes of those first – 
you know, I, I think probably like three, four, five, six around when when it when when the show massively hit its stride, when every episode was just like gangbusters. Oh, yeah. And you know, the show's had its ups and downs. I I, I should be able to answer that better, but I I I I can't. I I, I kind of there was there was there was just like a there's years when it, it was everything to me, and uh, I, I suppose I suppose I, I would have to if I went through it, I could probably pick quantifiably. <laughs> there's slightly more episodes in this season than that season, right. but I just think of like the whole of the kind of uh, of the '90s as my special period. Yeah, you know with. Simpsons. Yeah, I'm watching um I'm watching season five right now. I just sort of um randomly picked five to just sort of be going through this past week. And um, you know, I've always or I've said six for a very long time, but five is really God, five is just like hit after hit after hit after hit. It's kind of yeah. it's kind of nuts. So I feel like five and six are the most common answer I get on that. And I don't think that's incorrect. I mean, a lot of people say four though, three and four, you know, the Al and Mike show ran seasons in the mm. beginning, very, very strong. Uh, hard to touch. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. No, absolutely. I mean, but I, I, I could probably give you a better answer, but I would have to um, watch like a hundred <laughs> episodes, which I actually might do. So I'll, I'll get back to you about yeah, that. That's good. What, what, but now I'm going to say uh, five or six seasons yeah. in the beginning. There. There you go. Yeah, that's that's fine. You can you can narrow it down before I have you you back on. Uh, well, this I one. Will narrow it down. Next time, I will, I will, I will give you a much more, a much more satisfying answer. I promise. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Well, then I'm going to see if you can answer this one, and you might give me the same uh, answer. But uh, can you give me a top three favorite episodes, or if you have a favorite? I know that's a much harder question than favorite season. Uh, so maybe these are not softballs. Maybe these suck. I don't know. Uh, do you- oh, no, no. I have favorite episodes. Okay. That, that's actually quite easy. Um, <laughs> the, the first one is Homer's Enemy. Great one. Because I think that's that's like a lot of people actually aren't sure about that one because uh, Frank Grimes is a, th- is a kind of breaking the fourth wall sort of character. He's like, he's like not in, he, he's, he hasn't drunk the kool-aid so he's a guy who's basically like a normal guy right he's like he's like my wife watching the show it's like you know why does everybody love homer you know <laughs> uh, and but i i just love that and, and i love the fact that um he dies in the end having pretty much lost his mind and that homer just basically makes a and makes a joke and everyone's laughing at his funeral it is so dark so good it's such a dark and and weird and wonderful and very homery episode i love that one yeah. so definitely that one um homer in space because uh you know it has um what is the name of that episode i should, I should deep space what, homer. What the name of that? yes of course okay so um Gosh, that's shocking that I didn't. Uh, that I forgot <laughs> that. But yeah, because it has lines like you know, now we'll never know if ants could be taught to sort tiny screws in space, <laughs> and, and it's got all the two thousand and one references, and uh, and it's got that fantastic scene when Homer's calling Marge um, to, to, to the night before the the launch. And then he's talking to her, and then and then he starts dialing again because he's forgotten that he's dialing to. Her. I mean, that's just so mad. So good. Oh, I love that. I love that episode, and I love the um, itchy and scratchy land uh, um, uh, uh, episode. So good. The violence is placed on Earth 
because you know it's got the with a cool dry wit like that i could be an action hero and it's got lisa <laughs> drinking from the water and it's got her saying i am the lizard queen which is you know and it has them fighting you know in a kind of a west world sort of style Perfect. all the inches and scratches and uh it's just got them homo kind of bullying the the the, the um the guys in the suits and uh it's just got a lot of kind of uh and, and it, because it, because that episode also deals with fandom, because they, it's actually pretty meta. Oh yeah, that they they're going the the you know the Bart is, is 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 you know his favorite cartoon, and they're going to basically Disneyland, and 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 it's like the Simpsons are fans and consumers of merchandise, <laughs> and and it's like they're just like us and they're you know drinking too much and misbehaving and and and, you know getting you know detained by the authorities and they're just basically creating trouble and so i I, uh those are my those are my favorite episodes and the first 10 uh, treehouse of horrors oh yeah i love i just the, the treehouse of horrors are um spectacular they are my halloween you know every halloween was just you know halloween's not a big as big a deal in england it wasn't growing up i always wanted it to be but there was no trick-or-treat it was just it was just a very much an american thing it didn't trans it didn't come here for a long time until i started doing it with my kids and i think a lot of people who felt like they were i wasn't denied a lot when i was a kid i'm not going to give you a sob story (laughs) but uh, i definitely didn't do the halloween thing and uh so being able to um, live out my Halloween dreams um, with my own children and through the uh, Simpsons Halloween specials, making fun of all the, you know, very uh, kind of um, affectionate fun of all the things that I I love, all the Twilight Zone episodes, the the King Kong episode. um, I mean, it's just all wonderful. The fact that there was a cartoon, um, that was so smart and so savvy and so hooked into all the kind of pop culture that I, that, that, that basically made me who I am. Right. And uh, yeah, I mean, this the Simpsons. Nobody's done it like the Simpsons and nobody I ever will. I think it just, it just captured that. And so anything that comes by there, maybe, you know, there are great shows, you know, Rick and Morty is start bloody genius, but Simpsons did it first, you know, came first and uh you know you can't take that away from them no they're, they're always going to be the best to me no matter what well and I, you know that's i think those are all great picks i i the halloween was very special to me as a kid as well and the treehouse of horrors were definitely like you know a huge thing Ooh. to me in the same way so i think it's cool that you know I, I think it's cool that you having you know less to do with halloween but still seeing that from a from that perspective is is really cool i'm Ooh. glad to I'm glad that it was able to to fill that gap for you in that way. That's awesome. Oh, it did. It did in a big way. And the Simpsons Halloween specials are still a big part of my Halloween. You know, I'll always make sure that, although they don't always uh, get the new ones out in time for Halloween, which is, you know, it's like, come on, guys, sort your shit out, seriously. But uh, I always, you know, watch uh, a selection. I always watch at least a few hours of... Um, of uh, Halloween specials, Treehouse of Horrors, you know, and I got all the comic books and stuff. So, oh, yeah. you know, they just play a big part in my Halloween every year and they always have done, they always will do. Yeah. Can't wait for And I'll fight anyone who tries to stop me, <laughs> although I can't imagine anybody would fight me about that. Why would they do that? Yeah, why? That would be insane. Yeah, that would be insane. Like, why would they care? Why would they know we want you to celebrate Halloween in our way? It's like, it's not like the plot of Footloose. No one's going to stop me. <laughs> No, that's great. It's great, Marshall. Um, Well, you know, so I I like to close these out with just a little bit of talk about merchandise. 
And, uh, you know, we, we talked all about collecting. We talked all about this sort of thing, how you sort of got into collecting. But, you know, since you were watching from the beginning, I'm curious, you know, h- how intense was the initial wave of merchandise in the UK? Because obviously in America, you know, it was Bart mania. Things were insane. Like everybody had to have Simpson stuff, you know, wall to wall displays, floor to ceiling and all these big department stores. Uh, what was it like in the UK? What is your memory of that in those early years? It was pretty thin on the ground, and for the first few years, um, it was uh, it was there was not much. And now, when I look at it, um, it it's kind of sort of endearingly uh, cruddy. Some of the merchandise was not exactly sort of super, super accurate, and uh, and they didn't you know follow the kind of Simpsons design rules, and uh, and you know that itself has a certain kind of has a certain charm yes but um it took a while for the i didn't really start collecting simpsons like obsessively until they'd been going for like five years then i kind of um by which time i had you know kind of ebay and uh, i was able to you know fill in some gaps and stuff from things that i'd missed and uh at first it wasn't you know they were the don't have a cow man t-shirts and you know the basically the thing that struck me about the first wave and i'm just realizing this now the first few waves of simpsons um merch was that it was all about bar because the manufacturers thought it was actually aimed at children yeah and that as as bart was the 10 year old that he was the star of the show and what they didn't realize that actually homer is the star of the show <laughs> i mean you know it's true it is a show if everybody gets to be the star of the show yeah but i i always felt like you know homer is is if, if you had to put one character at the top of the cast as, as the most it's got it's just i feel it's got to be homer and i mean no disrespect to anybody else yeah. um and uh yeah so I, I felt like there wasn't enough homer merchandise and so I, I was starved of homer i collected lots of barts but it was like what the hell you know and then it was like okay great you've done a ton of homers where's the crusties yeah. you know why why can't i have a lionel hutz where are my itches and scratches you know it was like uh you know come on come on bring it on it's like don't you understand that i've got i've got disposable income and it's like i want to give it to you i want to give you my money yeah um so please produce things that i can exchange for yeah you know bart bart was was really the star and that's that's something actually that that i've been asked a handful of times is like well you know what 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 who did they make the most stuff of and it's obviously bart i mean you know there's bart coin banks bart clocks bart watches bart dolls bart you know it's just bart 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 to the point that you know if, say uh, randomly i'll give an example of uh this uh this company street kids they made uh like coin banks little plastic coin banks there's like five different designs of bart at various sizes there's one lisa and she was only made in one size and she's extremely rare because nobody really wanted her i guess and they never actually made homer Marge or Maggie. So like, you know, it's just the fact that all of this time went into mostly Bart stuff for those lines. And a lot of times there were prototypes of Lisa and Marge and Homer and things like that, that wouldn't even get made because the the company would just, just, it's nuts. That's just crazy. See, look on the cover of my book, we got Homer. You got Homer. Question. (laughs) 
And I mean, you know, luckily, luckily in later years, they did make a lot of, of uh, Homer stuff. And actually, if you look at my collection, you would think that actually more Homers were produced than Bart's because I've, I've addressed that balance by, uh, I mean, I got a ton of, I, I got loads of great Lisa's. I got loads of great Marge's. And Marge's is, a, I think, sometimes not appreciated just what a crackpot she is right. because it's like, who in their right mind would marry Homer and who in their right mind would give Homer children <laughs> and, and live with him and put up with him? You know, I mean, she's quite a zany character in her own right. I don't think she always necessarily gets um, the credit that, that she deserves. Yeah. I, and, you know, Lisa, she has, uh, you know, her own, she has plenty of lizard queen moments. She's, you know, she's still a Simpson. She has her moments. She has plenty of moments. They all do. You know, that, that's why I love the show. There's no, there's no weak links. There's no, um, there's no, oh gosh, it's, you know, it's a, this person episode or it's a, that person episode. It's like, because they're all, they're all gems really. Yeah, it's true. And I mean, it's, it's funny you say, well, you know, another thing I want to point out is you were talking about the, you know, the merch was a little slow to come out in the UK in that way. Uh, one thing I've pointed out several times is that a lot of the UK merch uh, even into like the mid to late nineties still looked very 1990. Like a lot, like you were saying, a lot of it is very off model. Uh, in particular, this company vivid imaginations, a lot of yeah. those dolls came out in 97 and they look like they were made in 1989. Like they very much so look, you know, very of the beginning and not of the late to mid. So uh, I've always found that interesting about a lot of uh, UK merchandise, but so much good stuff, you know, from bath products to, you know, shampoos and all this sort of stuff came from the UK. It's crazy, isn't it? There is so much. I, I guess I, I like, I like, like you, I, I probably, I like the weirdest stuff. I don't necessarily want 400 things of Bart saying, don't have a cow man. You know? <laughs> right. It's like, you just put the same art on, a million things. I'm not interested in having those million things. I just, you know, I just, it doesn't excite me. I, <laughs> I want, I would just, I like the weirder things. I like the, 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 the kind of, you know, the, the things I have, like I've got in, in, inhalers, you know, oh, yeah. and inhalers and things like that, because that's just weird. It's great. But why wouldn't you, you know, if you had to have an inhaler, um, you know, why, why wouldn't you want to, I would want that Yeah. You know? why, why? Like for me, everything had to be the Darth Vader or, or Homer. <laughs> it was like, those are my, those characters are my main jam. Really. Yeah. Well, why would you not want a puff of pal? I love what those are called. I have a handful. Puff of pal. Yeah. Yeah. Of there too. you go. Yeah. Yeah. I think I got a Spider-Man one as well. Ah, that's great. That's so good. So it's, uh, yeah, yeah. So why would you not? So I, I like those kind of, you know, Homer nutcrackers or Homer bottle openers or, or, uh, just the, the kind of where they've used a bit of uh, imagination and a bit of um, design. And also, obviously, um, there was a long time when the Simpsons, uh, everything produced about them art in, in, in terms of the art and the, um, and, and, and the, and the, and the figures um, all had to be sort of the same look. You know, they were all based on the characters. Right. And then there came a time when, you know, they were doing those fantastic trading cards and they did the RTR cards. Yep. 
and they did these, you know, the, the I think, I, to my recollection, those were the first time that they produced any Simpsons um, sort of art that wasn't like on book. It was like they created a surreal versions of the characters. Yeah. And after that, the sort of the floodgates opened and, and uh, you know, lots of sort of distorted and weird characters and, and, and you know, much more artistic interpretations of them. And, uh, and, and, you know, I, I like that. I like that stuff. I like it when um, you get, um, you you got the Simpsons and, and you've got like a different style of thing and that they kind of merge to create something, you know, that hasn't existed before. Yeah. It's like, uh, does that sort of make sense? So no, I, I totally. kind of like the weirder and more off book, the better now. Yeah. And those are the things that I continue to collect. I, I don't get much Simpsons. I don't really get much new Simpsons um, merch. Yeah. No, I, I can uh, dig that. That's literally I, I'd have to dig holes in the ground <laughs> and create, you know, display cabinets in the floor or something to have more space. Yeah. No, I totally trust me, I relate to that so much to the point that sometimes, you know, I, I consider selling certain things because they're large and I could use the space. So I totally relate to that. Anyone who has um, anyone who likes the merchandise talk, they should really go back and listen to episode 14 with Bill Morrison because nobody knows that stuff better than Bill. He was right there through the, the early days of merchandising. He did the comics. He did it also. I, I would recommend anyone who's listening to this for the first time, go listen to that one. Um, but you know, Marshall, I, I think that about does it, man. I want to say thank you for, for coming on the podcast. This was really, really fun to sort of pick your brain as a, you know, as an author, a fellow collector, uh, someone who really appreciates the show on a deep level. And, uh, you know, before we go, uh, you know, plug the book, plug anything else that you have going on, anything you want people to know about, tell them where to find you. Just uh, do all that now. Well, uh, I'm always on Twitter. I, that's my digital playground. So come say hello uh, at, uh, on Twitter at Marshall Julius. Um, on Facebook, I, I kind of uh, start the page uh, like during the lockdown that's kind of uh, becoming, you know, quite popular. That's called um, Vintage Geek Central on on facebook um i design these robot t-shirts now because of course i do here's my uh dalek um they're available from a uh, an online uh store called hot merch and there's links to that from my social um here is my my book my baby vintage geek um if you buy it uh dm me and i'll send you a signed book plate because you know you might as well it's always nice to have things signed even if it's signed by me sure and um i think that's it <laughs> you know awesome great stuff i think that's it i'm sure i'm forgetting something but uh no 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 i think that's pretty much it i did design a pretty crazy jeans guy t-shirt for mandalorian fans so i I thought that everybody was producing all this sort of fake photoshop merch so we actually you know through um hot merch actually designed a a jeans guy uh, t-shirt and i can reveal that we actually gave it to jeans guy whose identity is still a secret but his mum got in touch with hot merch and said that could could we send it to her double quick so that she could give it to her son for christmas Uh. it's all so i know that jeans guy is wearing my jeans guy uh t-shirt if i could end with a sort of non-simpson geek out that was very exciting for me very exciting that is that Um, is so cool i I love that and i did see that shirt i've seen you post it. it's so funny 
Um, but yeah, everyone should go follow Marshall. They should check out his t-shirts. They should definitely buy Vintage Geek. Quiz your friends. You know, like I said, throw a party. Do like a Zoom quiz night, you know, with your buds and uh, and have a blast with that. And Marshall. Torture them. Torture them with my book. <laughs> yes, please do. Find that. the one who says he knows everything and turn him into a quivering wreck. But mainly just, you know, come say hello on, on Twitter and, you know, let, let, let's chat because it's like I just love talking about this stuff. And, um, you know, we're all just fans. And, and I feel like especially in this awful bloody time, this damn pandemic that's got us all stuck at home, that at least through social and the, 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 this is a way how we can all kind of connect over the things as we have tonight. And I'm definitely feeling feeling the connection here. I want to climb through the screen and, 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 and open all of your boxes <laughs> and play with your toys <laughs> another time. And you've got a standing invitation my friend to come here. So we should do, we could do a, a, like a podcast, like in the same room, you know, apparently there was once a time when people would convene in the same room. It sounds (laughs) like science fiction. Yeah. It's really, really hard to believe that now. I mean, you, you know, the same goes for you, Marshall. I definitely feel the connection, definitely feel that kinship with you. And I, I, the same can be said, you have an open invitation. Anytime you come to Florida, come see the room. We'll, we'll do something fun. Um, but yeah, I think that does it for us, everybody. Go follow Marshall. If you're not following me, you know what to do. And I'll see you next week. Bye, everyone. If you enjoyed this podcast, check out the official Instagram at Simpsons is greater than or follow me on Twitter at Simpsons is great. If you're curious about me or my Simpsons collection, just search for Bart of Darkness on Instagram and Twitter. Thanks again for checking this out. I'll see you next week.